0: So I have no professional experience whatsoever, but my my goal is to show people that you can enjoy alcohol and be an alcohol enthusiast literally from your own house. Everyone, welcome to this brand new, reimagined, revamped edition of Gin and Barrett. I am your host, Meg. For those of you who have never listened to Gin and Barrett before, and for those of you who have, because this is basically a brand new podcast. I am Meg. I am a 25-year-old American from Chicago. I have been living in London since summer of 2016. I am coming up on my four-year anniversary in the UK in about a month, and I originally started Gin & Barret as a way of documenting my experiences as an expat living in the UK, all of the traveling, eating, and drinking, and friend-making that I have been doing since I moved here, it's been a really exciting ride. I've had some amazing guests on my show, and we've talked about a wide range of topics. But the biggest struggle that I have had with the podcast ever since I started is just trying to have a narrow focus. I'm extremely interested in all of the topics I've talked about on gin and Beet, from dating to travel tips to tips on how to get on the housing ladder in the u k everything has interested me, but I have been conscious of the fact that you could never describe exactly what gin and beer is about in one sentence. And so how am I supposed to get a strong following of listeners if I'm not focusing on something where people think of gin and beer and they know exactly what they're tuning in for? So recently I had an absolute epiphany while I was drinking, and realize that I could take the fact that I have a drinking related podcast name, and I could also take the fact that I am a complete drinking enthusiast, and I could combine those two things. So, the new vision for Gin and Beer It is that each episode will be based around a drink. Um, some of them are going to have, very similar to the original Gin and Buret format, some of them are going to have guests. I'm hoping most of the episodes will have guests. Some of them will just be me... But we will talk about a drink that is important to someone and why, the backstory behind why it's important to them, the history of that cocktail, how to make that cocktail, cool variations of that cocktail, Um, also not limited to cocktails, so this could be a special wine, this could be a beer, this could be a non-alcoholic drink. Um, The point is just that I have discovered basically since I was about 18 that just like food, drinking is something that brings all of us together. So whether you partake in alcohol or not, I think that we all have drinks that we associate with a memory. And I would like to use this podcast as a platform for discussing that and for being enthusiasts together and talking about drinking and getting different people's perspectives and cultures and basically just enduring drinking and obviously drinking whilst we do so. So this week I decided, similar to how I kicked off the original Gin and Bearet with an episode all about myself, I decided I would kick off this reimagined version of Gin and Bearet with an episode starting with me, a drink that means something to me, and of course, I decided to go for the Negroni. So today, I am going to be talking all about the history of the Negroni, cool variations that you can make, some background stories as to why I think of it as such an important drink in my life, and my personal favorite version of the Negroni itself. So without further ado, let's get started. So... To get into the history of the Negroni, the Gr- Negroni actually has a really interesting history. Um, I will put a link to this in the show notes, but the um, the main source that I'm using for this history is actually Food and Wine did a brief history of the Negroni, and I really liked it, so I'm going to be talking about it. So first of all, the Negroni came out supposedly in 1919 when someone named Count Camillo, Camillo, Camillo Negroni was in Florence and wanted an Americano with gin instead of soda water. So for those of you who aren't aware, I actually wasn't super familiar with the Americano. I'm familiar with Americano, the coffee, um, but not the alcoholic beverage. An Americano is a cocktail served in a highball glass that is um, Campari, vermouth, and soda water. So it's served in a tall glass, and obviously, because the only alcohol is just Campari and vermouth, I don't think it's actually that high alcohol content. And Count Camillo Negroni wanted an Americano, but with gin instead of soda water. And as we all, most of us, some of us, I don't know, are aware, the Negroni is the combination of Campari, gin, and sweet vermouth. Which is probably exactly why I should have led this with. So yes, for those of you who've never had a Negroni, the traditional Negroni is served in a um, rocks glass, similar to what you would have a Manhattan or an old-fashioned in. And it is one part Campari, which is a bitter aperitif. It is one part gin, and it is one part sweet vermouth. That is the classic Negroni. So this came from this Count wanting an Americana with gin. I think that whoever was making it for him probably realized that he couldn't use the same amount of gin as he would have used soda water, or this Count would have been completely under the table. So he decided to put it in a smaller glass, and as such, the Negroni was born. So the Count enjoyed this drink so much, and it became popular enough, at least in Italy, that his family, which must have been very well off, decided to make a pre-made bottled version that they sold and called Antico Negroni. So that was in 1919. Then in 1947, Orson Welles tried the Negroni and is reported to have said, the bitters are excellent for your liver. The gin is bad for you. They balance each other. So bitters are not a required ingredient in a Negroni, but I think that Negronis are massively enhanced by bitters, and when I later get into my personal perfect Negroni, um, I'll tell you about the bitters that I use. So that was in 1947. Then throughout history, there's a long history of different variations of Negronis um, that I will get into in a few minutes, but... um, that was basically it. It just kind of became a, basically a staple drink. And then in 2013, Campari launched Negroni Week, which occurs in June of every year. And I think Campari releases all these different recipes for Negronis and I think a lot of bars. Um, I know for certain that this happens in America and it also happens in London. I don't know about elsewhere in Europe, but they a lot of bars will have a Negroni um, special drink. I know that last year I think there was a pub or a nicer than a pub. It was like a kind of a one of those half coffee, half cocktail shop type places in the city of London um, that did a coffee negroni, which was absolutely amazing. Any time I take a pause, it's because I'm taking a sip of the negroni that I'm drinking right now. By the way, <clears throat> so yeah, Negr- Negroni Week is. Um, is a thing every June and it has contributed to the mainstream popularity of the Negroni. So with that being said, in terms of why I'm talking about the Negroni, um <clears throat> I mean first and foremost to be obvious, I do think that it's my favorite drink. Um I think it's kind of my desert island drink. If I could only drink one thing for the rest of my life, I think I would happily drink Negronis. Um and I think One of the reasons why it's so special to me and why it is perfect for this kind of quote-unquote first episode of this podcast is because it is a cocktail that I definitely associate with my experience living in London because, to be honest, and I think as I kind of go through doing this show with different guests and talking about different cocktails and things like that... um, I think it's going to be the case. There are very few cocktails, and I. This is not a bad thing. Um, there, and I'd, be, I'd also be curious if other people feel the same as me. Particularly, some of my friends and listeners who are who consider themselves to be drink enthusiasts. But there are very few drinks that I actually remember like that is the first time that I ever drank that. Um, I, you know, I just I think if you're a person who has drank as much as me in their lifetime, you start to kind of lose track. I remember the first time I had Heineken. I remember, I definitely remember the first time I had Pims. I remember the first time that I had a Mai Tai, I think. Um, there's a handful, but for the most part, like most of my favorite drinks, I don't remember when I had them for the first time. And the Negroni is definitely a perfect example of that. But I will tell you, I absolutely did not have a Negroni until I moved to London. And I know that for certain because even though Negroni week started in 2013, and if you kind of watch lots of videos, um, like for example, one of my favorite kind of cocktail making YouTubers who I will probably reference 80 times every single episode of this podcast because I watch his videos obsessively is Leandro from Educated Barfly. Amazing YouTube channel if you're looking for cocktail and bartending tutorials. Um, You know, he, some of his videos from like 2014 talk about like how massive Negronis were. And to be fair, in 2014, I was in college. I was in my second year of college. So I was in like the very kind of slum poor time of my college experience. So perhaps I just wasn't going to bars that would serve Negronis. Actually, I'm, I'm certain it's probably because I wasn't going to bars that served Negronis. But when I lived in Chicago from 2012 to 2016, I do not remember Negronis being a popular cocktail at cocktail bars. Um, also, My parents were the ones who raised and informed my drinking habits um, once it was appropriate for me to be drinking with them. And my parents both hate gin, and my dad in particular is not a fan of Campari because he does not like the bitterness of grapefruit. So a Negroni, while in my opinion very similar to... Like a Manhattan or an old fashioned, like to me, it's like an old man's drink. Um, it is not something that my parents raised me on drinking. This is a very long winded way of me just telling you that even though I do not remember where I was and what I was doing the first time that I ever tasted a Negroni, I can tell you right now that it was at some point 2016 and onwards when I lived in the UK. <clears throat> and because of that, it is a drink that I associate with being. You know, an expat living in London in this really awesome, exciting, stressful, overwhelming, amazing period of my life. A couple things that I associate with Negronis—the first and foremost—and she'll laugh if she listens. Well, Elizabeth or her husband Marcus will laugh if they're listening to this. But my best friend Elizabeth, who was on the wedding episode of Jin and Barrett not too long ago, had a thirtieth birthday a couple years ago. It was legendary. And her now husband, at the time boyfriend, was making some Negronis at that party and basically having his Negronis is the last thing I remember of the evening. I got completely fucked up um, and ended up crashing on her couch like in my coat and boots. Like it was like I had no intention of sleeping at her flat but literally didn't have a choice because I couldn't have made it down her stairs. Um, But anyway, even though you can't even really call that a memory, um, it's just a funny association that I have with Negronis, and shout out to Marcus because he makes a mean Negroni. And another reason why Negronis are important to me is because when I had lived in the UK for about a year and a half... Um, in November of 2017, I moved into my own little, I had, up until then I'd been living with flatmates in North London. And then in late 2017, I moved into what I have always referred to as my Bridget Jones flat in Southwest London. It was a tiny, tiny one bedroom flat that had like a little attic and you could hardly even call it a kitchen. It was basically just a counter and a mini fridge, um, and a stove, um I I say all of this endearingly. I absolutely loved that flat. And even though I had purchased hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bottles of wine, up until then I had never bought myself like the ingredients for a real cocktail. Like in college, me and my best friend slash roommate, Andrea bought seven up and seagram seven whiskey for seven and sevens, if you want to call those cocktails, but I had never purchased like all of the ingredients to make a cocktail. Um And so my boyfriend, Harry, and I went to Asda and I bought myself a bottle of, um, it would have been Gordon's. It was Gordon's gin. I got Martini Rosso, which is like the classic sweet vermouth that is used in Negroni and then obviously Campari, um... We can get a little bit when I discuss the variations of a Negroni, we can get a little bit more into it, but I personally think that the Campari is the one ingredient that you cannot sub out. So, anyway, I got all the ingredients, and it sounds silly, but I just think that that was like a rite of passage for me, especially because <clears throat> my parents are definitely cocktail enthusiasts. My dad can make the best Manhattan, basically, of anyone that I know. Um, my parents just kind of enjoy the craftsmanship of drink making. And so it was kind of like, I just felt like I was growing up a little bit by actually buying the proper ingredients for a, a real drink. So even though it sounds silly, that was a big moment for me. So moving on to variations of the Negroni. So firstly, and again, these are ones that I have read about from... The Food and Wine article, which I will link in the show notes, <clears throat> and I have not tried all of these. Um, so the first one is the Negroni Spagliato, which is um, Italian for mistaken Negroni. Apparently, this was developed in 1967 in a bar in Milan, and it is basically a Negroni made with prosecco instead of gin, which I actually find really interesting. I have not tried this before. Um, I definitely should. The problem is that anytime a cocktail calls for Prosecco or Champagne, I am just like, I'm not, I don't feel like ordering, or not ordering, I don't feel like purchasing a whole bottle of sparkling wine just to kind of use it to top off a drink. Um, And, you know, as much as I'd love to just finish off the Prosecco and use the fact that I don't want it to... You know go flat as an excuse prosecco gives me the worst hangover possibly of any drink ever apart from i think cider which i don't drink at all um so unless i'm gonna go buy the tiny little like single serving bottles of prosecco that you can buy at, at like train stations and stuff i kind of tend to steer away from drinks that use prosecco and champagne is like a mixer with that being said This sounds tasty, but I feel like it just—it must taste very different from a Negroni because Prosecco and gin are two completely different drinks. You know, a gin is very floral, and also no two gins are the same. And then Prosecco, uh, like, first and foremost, you're going to have the fizz, but Prosecco is also very sweet. So, yeah, I'd be very interested to try that. I don't know how I would feel about it. It would probably be if you were drinking in a if you wanted a Negroni during the day, that would probably be much better than just having a full on Negroni at like 2 PM. The next variation is the white Negroni, which came out in 2002. It is credited to British cocktail expert Wayne Collins, and he basically swapped Lillette Blanc and Suze for sweet vermouth and Campari. Um, I don't know much about Sue's. I think it's a French aperitif, but Lalette Blanc I know is the vermouth that, um, it's the vermouth that's used in the classic Vesper martini, which is like the James Bond one, the shaken, not stirred. Um, I haven't tried it. It's, it's obviously super famous. It's meant to be great, but I would be quite keen to try a white Negroni. Um, it sounds quite delicious. And then in 2010, Jeffrey Morgenthaler of Portland, Oregon, is credited with the, um, for creating the first successfully barrel aged cocktails. Um, he started with Manhattans and then began making Negronis, which he aged in whiskey barrels. I don't know a load about aging cocktails. There is a book that I read recently called The. The book is called The Curious Bartender. It's by Tristan Stevenson, who is a mixologist in the UK. And he gets really into the science of mixology, which is really fascinating. And he has a whole section about barrel aging things. And it sounds like it's really cool. And I can see how aging a cocktail in, you know, like a a whiskey barrel would give it like this whole depth that just a regular cocktail wouldn't have. So I'm definitely intrigued by it. What I will say is in general, I tend to massively steer away from pre-made cocktails. Um, and the reason for that is probably just because I haven't been exposed to enough actually decent ones. Like there probably are pre-made cocktails that are exquisite, but a friend got me a pre bottled Manhattan as a going away present when I moved to London. And it was extremely thoughtful on her part because she knew that I love Manhattans. I still do. Um, but it was vile. And I'd like to be fair, I don't know if it was just because since they're pre bottling it, they are able to use like the cheapest possible whiskey, cheapest possible vermouth, you know, whatever bitters they want um maybe that is why it wasn't good and maybe if i just had a pre-bottled one that was actually made with better booze it i would change my mind but because of the experience that i had with the pre-bottled manhattan i have never bothered with a um another bottled cocktail so if anyone listening has a recommendation, particularly in the UK, so that I can try to actually get it for a pre-made cocktail and specifically where to get barrel-aged cocktails, please let me know because I'd be keen to try them. And finally, the variation on the Negroni that I am actually drinking as we speak is the coffee Negroni. So this particular recipe that I have used is from Mr. Black. For those of you who are not familiar with Mr. Black, because I just discovered it, it very recently from all these cocktail videos that I've been watching on YouTube. It is a coffee liqueur made by a company in Australia, um, and it has kind of swept the booze industry, I think. Um, it Like, I just ordered a bottle myself last week. It was 31 quid on Amazon, so it's not cheap considering a bottle of Kahlua or Tia Maria is, like, 11 quid. But not to sound, like... The last thing I want with this podcast is to sound like a douchey cocktail person because part of the reason why I even wanted to go this direction with Gin and Barrett is because I want drinking to – and cocktail making and just being enthusiastic about drinking to be – I want to show how it can be very accessible to everyone. Um And I think one of the things that I've struggled with as someone who has enjoyed, like, I have always liked the taste of alcohol since I started drinking. I like, if it's decent alcohol, I've always enjoyed it. But I've struggled, you know, when you're a broke 20 year old in college who can barely afford to get like bottom shelf liquor, um, you don't really have the time or the energy or the resources to be kind of for lack of a better term, a douche about drinking. Um, And so I've always been just kind of not into people who are really like uppity and, and inaccessible about how they drink. And so that's kind of one of my goals with this podcast is to show people that, first of all, I have never worked in the service industry. I've never been a bartender. Any of the skills that I have with regards to drink making is entirely... My experience watching YouTube videos, my experience being on the customer side and watching bartenders make drinks, and just stuff that I've learned from my parents and friends. Um, so I have no professional experience whatsoever, but my my goal is to show people that you can enjoy alcohol and be an alcohol enthusiast literally from your own house um, you know i'm I'm recording this podcast when we're still in the UK in a relatively strict lockdown as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. So that's another reason why I've massively got into drink making because I'm no longer going to pubs and bars. Um, you know, I haven't been to a bar in three months, so I have learned how to do a lot of this stuff myself. And I just want to show people that you can do it yourself and it's very fun and it really does not have to be that expensive. Um, So with that being said, I'm not usually one to bang on about how the most expensive version of something is the absolute be-all, end-all. However, I will say that Mr. Black tastes like 20 quid more delicious than like Kahlua and Tia Maria. And I am someone who has always loved Kahlua. Like I love it in an espresso martini. I love white Russians. Um, I'm not turning my back on Kahlua, but the one thing, the one hang-up that I have with so many drinks and so much in the drinking world is sweetness. I can't stand, I can't stand A, too much sweetness, and I can't stand like an artificial fake sweetness, and that's what you get with the traditional coffee liqueurs, and with Mr. Black's, I think if you read on their website, their, um, the ingredients for their coffee liqueur is just their own, like, you know, in-house grown coffee, vodka, and a bit of sugar, um, to like, you know, naturally sweeten it. So it is delicious. I could literally just drink it on the rocks like Bailey's, um, and it is great in cocktails. And so I decided to make the version of their Negroni that they have on their website. And this calls for 20 milliliters of Mr. Black, 20 milliliters of gin, 15 milliliters of Campari and 10 milliliters of sweet vermouth. So this is, um, throwing a bit of a wrench in the traditional, um, one to one to one ratio of a Negroni, but that's because you're throwing the coffee in there. And like I said, I made it today and it was absolutely delicious. Um, the coffee, Really shines through, so you definitely need to be a coffee person to enjoy a coffee Negroni. I think that should probably go without saying. For my drink in particular, I obviously use the Mr. Black. For the gin, I use Sipsmith's London Dry. I use regular Campari, and then for the sweet vermouth, I use Cokie um, Vermouth de Torino, which is um, a brand Cokie's uh, or Kochi, Cokie's um, sweet vermouth, which is my favorite vermouth. And then I just stirred it with ice and garnished with an um, orange, the peel of an orange. And it was absolutely delicious. It was really, really nice after dinner. It was like a dessert cocktail. Um, Oh, also, my own little variation on it. I put about two dashes of Fee's um, Aztec chocolate bitters, um, which, to be honest, I think I probably would have had to drink it without those bitters to see if the bitters really shined through because it's, it's a bit one of the things that I will say that I've learned about myself after watching all these YouTube videos of like people whose actual profession is making drinks. I don't think my palate is that complex. Um, I like, I have a very hard time distinguishing flavors. I think it's because I don't have a great sense of smell and I think sense of smell is directly correlated to your taste. Um so I'm not really good at identifying like a million different flavors when I'm tasting something. Um so it's kind of hard to say if the Mr. Black's completely like swallowed the Aztec chocolate bitters or if they actually added something, but all I know is that the drink was delicious. Um but like I said it's very coffee. Um you only get a slight bitterness from the Campari. And I basically didn't taste any gin whatsoever. Um, I think the gin just kind of takes the, the backstage. But it was really delicious. And if you were looking for a Negroni variation that is, um, is kind of desserty and includes coffee liqueur, then I highly recommend it is on the Mr. Box website. I will put the link in the show notes. All right, so for the final segment of this show, I will be getting into my personal favorite version of all time of the Negroni. This is the version that I have been making myself countless times throughout the lockdown situation. I feel like for my own personal taste, I don't know about anyone else's, but for my own personal taste, this is my absolute perfect. So um, as we have discussed previously on the show, the classic... Um, Negroni is one ounce of gin. Um, I think the gin is the most just completely up to preference. I don't really think it matters. I think one of the things that the Educated Barfly YouTube videos point out is that both gin and vermouth are cocktails, No, sorry, not cocktails, um, alcohol that are I can't even remember the word that is that is used for them, but basically they are no two are the same. They're completely um unique to how the maker of those drinks is um. Oh, sorry, proprietary. Total brain fart. Proprietary is the word that I was looking for. They are totally unique to however the the company or person who's making them chooses to make them. So for gin, you're going to have different floral notes, different botanicals, um, kind of the same story for vermouth. So even though you might use London dry gin, two London dry gins might completely change the taste in your, your Negroni. So that is kind of a disclaimer. With that being said, I think the gin matters probably the least. Um, I have used everything from Gordon's to Tanqueray to Bombay Sapphire, and recently I have been using um, Sipsmith's London Dry. Um I think the Sipsmiths is my favorite. It's just a really nice, really smooth gin, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with Bombay Sapphire. I think a lot of people use Tanqueray as well. So the gin is extremely flexible. Um, you know, if you're, if you're using like a London dry, I think that's absolutely fine for the Campari. Um, like I said, there are other Italian aperitifs, the Koki brand, which I use for vermouth, they make an aperitivo aperitivo version, I believe, is what it's called that I think is meant to be their answer to Campari. Um, If I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm totally wrong, Um, but it kind of looks like Campari. And I'm sure it's delicious. I I definitely need to order it and give it a try. I think there's plenty of other different aperitifs that you can use. But personally, like I just think... Like I said, personally, I think that Campari is the one thing... I think Campari is the one thing that you wouldn't... That you would want to keep constant in a Negroni. I just think that's what makes a Negroni a Negroni. Um, So I do use regular Campari. The vermouth. So... This is a contentious topic. Um, a lot of you might have seen that Stanley Tucci recently did like an Instagram TV tutorial at the beginning of lockdown on how to make a Negroni. And it was kind of funny. That, so it went completely viral. And the reaction to his video was very polarizing. Because first of all, you had all of these women completely fawning over him because he is quite the Dilf, if I do say so myself. Um... But you also, there were a couple points that he made in his tutorial that a lot of kind of drink enthusiasts had some issues with. So first of all, um, he completely shat on Martini Rosso sweet vermouth, which, okay, to be fair, Martini Rosso is not my favorite vermouth. It's not my desert island vermouth. However, if you go to a any bar, any bar, any restaurant that isn't like a bespoke cocktail bar or really nice restaurant where they're kind of like hand designing their drinks, I would bet extremely good money that if you order a Negroni, they are using Martini Rosso as their vermouth. So if you are going to tell me that you won't touch Martini Rosso, I am assuming that what you were telling me is that you either don't order Negronis if you're somewhere that's not a really fancy cocktail bar, or you're specifically telling restaurants that you want a different vermouth if they'll even if they even have it. So, yeah. Point being, Martini Rosso is not my favorite vermouth, um, but it is the gold standard for what is used in Negroni. It is what I used to make Negronis for the first two years I was making them, three years I was making them, and it's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, so that was kind of the first thing with Stanley Tucci's video. The second thing that I actually had a bigger issue with than his comments on vermouth is the fact that he likes his Negroni served up. So he puts them in a martini glass with no ice, which is not how I or anyone that I know makes them. A Negroni, in my opinion, should be built in a rocks glass which means that you pour the ingredients into the bottom of a rocks glass that you then fill it with cubed ice or a cool little ice sphere or a giant block of ice and then you stir it to mix it without diluting it with the ice and you garnish with an orange peel or whatever lemon peel and it's delicious um i do not shake Negroni. Actually, I have shaken a Negroni before and it gets very frothy and it just doesn't taste or look like a Negroni. Um, but even if you stir it, I wouldn't then put it with no ice. In a martini glass. That's just me. Hey, look, another point that I want to make about this podcast is that I am not here to tell you how to drink or what you should or should not enjoy. I took a wine course in my final semester of college, which was fucking amazing. And the one thing that I that resonated with me that the teacher said is good wine is wine that you think tastes good. And for me, that bleeds into anything you eat or drink. Whatsoever in anything you, I mean, anything you enjoy in life that isn't harming other people, I think that you can say that that's a good thing. Um, So if you enjoy your Negronis, up in a martini glass without any martini Rosso, just like Stanley Tucci does, then fucking power to you. Go make yourself one, pause this and make yourself one right now. Um, But I personally like it with ice in a rocks glass. Um, And for my vermouth, getting back to the vermouth conversation, like I said, I use Cokie Vermouth de Torino. Um, This does make a very different Negroni than the standard with martini Rosso. I think the reason for this being that um Vermouth de Torino Coke's Vermouth de Torino is it's thicker and it is sweeter than Martini Rosso. Martini Rosso is a bit um runnier is kind of a gross way of describing a Vermouth. But it's it's just it's it's like it's not as viscous. Um and so for me I like that. Like I think that it creates a much smoother Negroni. <clears throat> it just like there's no burn to it whatsoever, and it just kind of like rolls down your throat like honey. Um, but other people might not like that. I think I have friends who think that um, the the coki Vermouth de Torino is just a bit too much in a Negroni, and that's absolutely fine. This is my perfect Negroni. If you want to tell me what your perfect Negroni is, please do. Um, so finally, I add—this is where I get a little bit crazy. I add a dash or two of Angostura orange bitters and a dash or two of Fees um, Aztec chocolate bitters. So it gives us this like orangey chocolatiness. And that is my perfect Negroni. And honestly, every single time I make that Negroni, I genuinely struggle not to just get up and immediately make myself another. Um, so I'd be I'd love if you guys would try it if you have those ingredients. Um, like I said. I would definitely if you're if you're a person who enjoys negronis I would definitely try to get yourself um some gin, campari and vermouth just have them on hand because if you have those things you can make a negroni whenever you want. And if you're someone who's really into experimenting with cocktails, that's where I would recommend that you order some bitters because they're they when you order them they seem really expensive like They're anywhere between like eight and 12 pounds on Amazon, but you'll see when you use them, they will last you absolutely ages because of the way that you dash them. So they'll last you forever, especially if you're not, you know, making loads and loads of drinks all the time. And they're just a really cool way to experiment and add a completely different layer of flavor to your drinks, which is kind of what I've been doing during this lockdown. So that is my perfect Negroni. That is the history and why they're so important to me. I hope that you guys have enjoyed this podcast. I honestly, not to get too sappy, I really could not possibly be more excited for the way that Gin & Beer is going. Like I said, I've really struggled ever since I started Gin & Beer to try to find my niche, and it's hilarious to me that when I was sitting listening to records with my boyfriend and drinking cocktails on a Saturday night, that this, just, this idea just kind of drunkenly came to me, and um, But I think good things are in store. I've already got guests lined up that I think are going to entertain you and teach you and surprise you. And I honestly just, I'm really excited. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can reach out to me. Please do. If you are going to try any of the Negronis that I've talked about in this episode, my email is show at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at show. I do weekly every Thursday. I do a Thirsty Thursday Instagram TV post where I teach you how to make a cocktail usually in like five to seven minutes. I've been really enjoying that. If you have any requests for cocktail tutorials, please hit me up with a message for those. I'm also on Twitter at Gin and Barrett pod. And the website is show.com, where you can read the blog, listen to old podcasts and stay connected. And cheers guys. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you next week.